Not only should Walters be your spot before and after every Nats game, but also Walters is an avenue for cheaper Nats tickets. When buying tickets to Nationals Park through the rest of the season, enter promo code WALTERS for 30% off. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another 2-0 pitch. Swing a line drive, base hit left field. This game's going to be tied. Dickerson scores. Call to second, Lane Thomas delivers. The Nationals three, the Brewers three. Second RBI hit for Thomas. Remember Adamas in the sixth inning foul ball off his foot and then singled on the next pitch. Kemenes has turned the trick as he hobbles back in. Outside target for Caratini, the 0-2 delivery. Swinging a broken bat looper, shallow right center. That's going to fall in for a base hit. It's going to score two. Cole crosses the plate. Thomas on his heels. Nationals back in front, 5-3. to three. You know, J-Mare, obviously, you know, he was awesome. He was everything I expected him on. And uh, he did well for us, and you know, we'll miss him. But, you know, he's going to go help the Cubs try to win, you know, get to the playoffs and win the championship. So good for him. And welcome to Nats Chat for Tuesday, August 1st, 2023. What is MLB Trade Deadline Day 2023? Along with MassInSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who is at Nationals Park. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. It is on Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern that we have the 2023 MLB Trade Deadline. The Nats on Monday evening, minutes before the team's game announced a trade. They dealt third baseman Jamer Candelario to the Chicago Cubs for two prospects. And then the Nats played their game and they won their game. A 5-3 win over the Milwaukee Brewers at Nationals Park in game one of a three-game series. The Nats improved to 45-62. and The Nats now have won eight of their last nine home games. Remember when the Nats seemingly could not win at home? Now the Nats seemingly cannot lose at home. Much more on this uh, latest home win is coming up. But Mark, the first Nats trade of this season has happened. The question is, will this be the only Nats trade of this season? I think it will be the biggest one. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that, although there are a few things that potentially could still happen before 6 o'clock Tuesday that would maybe outdo this one in terms of significance. But I think we all knew all along this was the most likely trade and probably the guy who would bring back the most, at least among the likely trade candidates. And, you know, we had a pretty big red flag earlier in the afternoon when Jamer Candelario was not in the starting lineup. You had a sense that whether it happened later in the day, after the game, or even the next day, that was sort of the final sign that, yeah, 
something was in the works and it was just a matter of uh, when it would go down. And it turns out it went down literally about 30 minutes before game time. It made for an awkward situation in the clubhouse. They're all saying goodbye to their teammate and then taking the field. But credit to the boys because they went out there and they played well and they won the game despite losing their number three hitter. The boys did play well. And what was funny is that other potential trade chips for the Nats were the ones who did well in this game on Monday night. We'll get to that, like I said, coming up in a bit. So you have two components to this, right? You have what Jamer Candelario just did for the Nats, and you have what the Nats are getting for Candelario. Moving forward, what matters the most is what the Nats got for Jamer Candelario. So like I said, two Cubs prospects, a shortstop, Kevin Bidet, and a left-handed starting pitcher, DJ Hers. Shortstop Kevin Bidet, he was the number 14 prospect in the Cubs farm system per MLB pipeline. This season is his age 20 season. The Cubs signed Bidet as an international free agent out of the Dominican Republic in July 2019. And this lefty, DJ Hers, number 16 prospect in the Cubs farm system per MLB pipeline. This season is age 22 season. The Cubs took hers out of a high school in North Carolina in the eighth round of the 2019 MLB draft. So two top 20 prospects from the Cubs, two top 20 prospects in the Cubs system, not two top 20 prospects overall in baseball. What do you make of this haul just from a standpoint of, is it about what you would have expected? A little more, a little less? What do you think? I think the interesting question of it, and we may never know the full answer to this, is would you rather have had and did they have the opportunity to get one higher ranked prospect versus the two kind of mid-tier prospects that they did get? There's an argument for either case. You say, go get the best player you can get and hope that he turns into something good. Or there's also the case to be made, hey, you don't know who's going to pan out. Let's try for quantity and hope that somebody emerges from it. And you now have two opportunities with these two players. So I think that part was a little surprising to me. I'm a little surprised they didn't get somebody a little bit closer to big league ready. I thought that might be more of a priority. The pitcher hers is at double A. The shortstop Made is at single A. So probably a little ways to go until we see them, if we see them. But I was reminded by, and I think we tried to say this all along, you don't generally get that much for rental players anymore, especially a a non-star player. Look, we know Jamer Candelario was really good and how important he was to the Nationals, and I think he's going to help the Cubs a lot. But if somebody out there thought they were going to get another team's top prospect or one of their top five prospects for Jamer Candelario, I don't think that was ever realistic. So I think in the end, this is probably about what you would have expected you know, give or take, I think you could have maybe made the case for one higher ranked prospect or at least one of them to be a little bit closer to big league ready. Somebody we would see this year. We're not going to see either of these guys this year. No, you know, it's always so tricky because A, we don't know internally what the Nationals think about Madej and hers. Like maybe Mike Rizzo really likes these guys and values them more than even the Cubs value these guys. We don't know what else was available to the Nats in terms of, you know, had they packaged Candelario with, you know, Elaine Thomas or a Kyle Finnegan or, you know, a Joey Manessis, who knows, could you have gotten an appreciably high prospect or not really? Was that never going to happen? But I think what you just said and what we have talked about is so key. The days of teams giving up highly regarded prospects for two-month rentals, those days really are done. And, you know, you're not going to see anymore like you trade in a role as Chapman 
and you get back a package that includes Glaber Torres, and then Chapman is a free agent in a few months. And then, by the way, the team that traded Chapman ends up resigning Chapman because that's what ended up happening in that scenario. But like those days are done. Teams are smarter now. Prospects are very much valued now. You know, I also think it's tricky too. If you look at the history of MLB trade deadline deals, the results are all over the place with these rentals. Like there are examples of guys going to teams and doing really well. Like Yuena Cespedes for the Mets in 2015 basically won them the National League pennant that year. But for every Cespedes in 2015 with the Mets, it feels like there are, you know, three, four, five examples of guys who get traded for and either don't do much or maybe even aren't that good. And so you end up giving something tangible and valuable up for someone for two months. And it's kind of like, what was the point of that? You know, so I think that enters into teams thinking now. But yeah, I mean, th- this felt about right to me. I, you know, I think like we all along kind of knew you're not going to get overwhelmed with what the Nats get back for the guy. But I also think you have to put this in its proper context. Jamer Candelario last year was a bad player for the Detroit Tigers. The Nats signed him this past November, one year, $5 million. And he ended up having this really good season. Jamer Candelario entering play on Monday was the number one third baseman in the National League for this season in both major versions of war, the baseball reference version and the fan grabs version. The Nats took this guy, fixed this guy, and flipped this guy. This is like a textbook thing to do as a rebuilding team. You fix them and you flip them. And the Nats did that with Candelario to the tune of, again, a one-year $5 million deal. So, you know, I salute the Nats for this. This worked out beautifully. And with Candelario, he ends up being a good player for the Nats over four months. The hustle was always on display, well-liked. I mean, if you're a Nats fan, I think you have nothing but nice memories of Jamer Candelario. Absolutely. And the same within the clubhouse. Guys loved him. Good leader in there. Really set the example of how to play the game. There were some guys who were upset by this. I mean, they understood it. They're not upset at the Nationals for making the move, but they're sorry to lose a guy that they really had grown to love. But you're right. This is how it's supposed to work. If you're in a position the Nationals were coming off of a a season where you lost 107 games, you go sign a guy on the cheap hoping for a rebound season, sign him to a one-year deal. And this is exactly the scenario that you would hope it would, you know, how it would play out. So they absolutely made this work in the end for them. And I think the fascinating question now will be, because look, they're going to still need a third baseman this winter. Brady House is not ready on opening day 2024. Maybe sometime later in the season he will be, but we don't know that yet. Still a lot to prove there. So they do need a third baseman, not just for the rest of this season, but to start next year. Candelario loved it here. He openly talked about how much he wanted to stay, even on a team that was losing. I would be very interested to see what the market is for him this winter and whether the Nationals would try to go back in that direction and see if they could bring him back. Because if that worked out, that's a win-win for an organization. You lose him for two months at the end of a season that you're losing anyways, maybe get him back to help guide you through this next phase that you're going through and get a couple of prospects for him in the end. That would be a huge win for them if they pull that off. That's like the scenario that people painted a year ago with Juan Soto of, well, we're trading him in 2022, but a few years from now, we're going to sign him back to the Nats and have both the Hall for Soto and Soto himself. We'll see. Maybe that does end up happening. So it's interesting we just said about Brady House. He is off to a good start for AA Harrisburg. Now, for service time considerations, I would not start him at the major league level next season. But do you think it's possible that once we pass whatever cutoff date that is, that he's the third baseman then? Like, could he be major league ready early next season? I'd be surprised. He's so young, drafted out of high school just a couple of years ago, basically missed all of last season. 
with an injury. And yeah, he has burst through the system this year and has done well. So of course you pay attention to that when a guy does that well. But I would be surprised unless he is just lights out the rest of the way. I suppose if they were to start him at AAA next year, then that would be a telltale sign. But I could see them having him start at AA again. I don't know. We'll see. I think it's more of a second half of the season or even an August, September situation from where we are today. A lot can change between now and then. But I think we would see James Wood and maybe Robert Hassel first before we get to Brady House. All credit to him for having a nice, big bounce-back season and working his way up the ladder. But he's still, what, 20 years old? Or 20, he's not even 21 yet, I don't think. And with only a, you know one full season as a professional under his belt at this point. So I don't think there's a reason to rush that. To me, the idea would be get him a taste of it at some point next year and then go for broke in 2025 with him as your everyday third baseman on a team that in a perfect world, they think they're ready to win by then. So in the meantime, we do have a rest of this season to play out. You know, an obvious third base option currently at the major league level for the Nats would be Ildemaro Vargas. But we did have the report from the Washington Post on Monday evening that Jake Alou is being called up. What do you think? Do you think Alou could actually end up being the every game third baseman as the season winds down here? I don't know that it'll be every day, but I think he'll get his chance. And that makes sense. I mean, all along, he would be the obvious candidate to be called up. And I could see some kind of timeshare between him and Vargas. I know Davey loves Vargas and, you know, I don't think there's going to bury him on the bench, but I think they also understand that this isn't just about putting the quote unquote best player out there for the rest of the year. You'd like to try to use this as an evaluation period. Jake Alou is an almost certainly not the long-term answer at third base for them, but he could be a player for them coming off the bench, utility guy, whatever that may be. Here's a chance to put him out there. Let's find out what he's got. So I would guess they share the job to some extent. Hopefully, Davey will be able to give us more of an idea on Tuesday pregame when they make that move official. But I've got to think we're at least going to see a decent amount here of Jake Alou, and let's find out what he is. I mean, he's not a highly touted prospect. Physically, isn't the kind of guy that wows you, but he has hit at every level of the minors. We got a little taste of him earlier this year in the big leagues. I think you want to see more. A name who has not been mentioned at all, and I don't expect to be mentioned here, is Carter Keeboom, who a year ago you would have said, well, of course he'll be the guy. No, he is still coming back from an injury, an oblique this time. But even if he wasn't, we've been talking for a while, he is kind of out of sight, out of mind. I do not expect to be seeing Carter Keeboom back up here. Yeah, we have seen uh, an organizational burial of Carter Keeboom over the last, say, 12 months with what's happened with him due to injury and ineffectiveness. It's interesting with Jake Alou because he had a nice spring training and there was a thought of, well, you know, they cut him kind of soon, it felt like in spring training. Then he got that brief taste of the majors during this regular season, but we really haven't seen much of him in the majors this season. Kind of felt when he got cut in spring training, well, okay, he'll probably play in the majors at least a decent amount this coming season. Hasn't played out that way. Obviously, figures to change now with him being called up. Yeah, and they were only going to do it if there was the right opportunity. There were injuries. They would have called him up if Candelario had to miss any time with an injury. They probably would have made the move to him. But I think just the personnel they had didn't make a lot of sense. Remember when he was here, he was playing left field, actually, because that's where the need was at the time. And that's not really what they you know profile him as. So here it is. Here's your opportunity for the kid. You got two months. Say he starts, what, 55 games to go. Maybe he gets to start. 30 of them or something like that. That's a nice little sample to have an idea going into next year. Is he a part of this team 
or not. Maybe he does well enough that you say, we don't need to bring back Jamer Candelario. But I think I'd be surprised if that was the case. Well, in this era of the Nats being sellers, we have seen over the final two months of each season, someone come out of nowhere to do really well. 2021, Lane Thomas and also Riley Adams. Last season, Joey Manessis. Who will be the 2023 version of 2022 Joey Manessis or 2021 Lane Thomas? Might it be Jake Alou over these final two months? We shall see. Hey, are you a law firm partner stuck on an underperforming team while the rest of the competitors are spending big and winning big? Well, Unlike Mackenzie Gore and Kaybert Ruiz, you have options. You don't have to stay on your 60-win team. Nats Chat sponsor Mason Kalfis and his team specialize in placing partners and associates at medium-sized and large law firms in Washington, D.C. and across the country. Mason Kalfis has recruiters in six states and has placed lawyers in more than half of the 100 largest law firms in the United States. While you may be reading doom and gloom from the legal press, many practices are red hot antitrust, IP litigation, white collar litigation, finance and direct lending, and healthcare. Because you are not under a CBA or team control for six years, in fact, staying at a firm too long is often a recipe for being underpaid. Explore your options today with Mason Kalfas. Call Mason today at 202-486-3535. That number again, 202-486-3535. Hey, Nats Chat. Beyonce is performing at FedEx Field on Saturday, August 5th, and no surprise, it is expensive. We can help, though, by using the special promo code for Nats Chat with the GameTime app. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for events like this one for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. It's the fastest growing ticketing app in the country for a reason. Get images of your seat before you buy so you would know exactly what to expect when you arrive. Snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code NATSCHAT for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code NATSCHAT for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. Well, the heat, the humidity, the sky high temperatures, uh, they all are here. And all of this is forcing your air conditioning into overdrive, leading to ultra high energy bills. The solution, new windows from the folks at Window Nation. And Window Nation right now is offering a sensational deal to listeners of the Nat Chat podcast right now. No money down, no payments, and no interest for two years, plus 50% off all styles of windows. And if you call this week, you get an extra 10% off. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com and tell Window Nation that you want the deal that you heard about from Al Galdi on the Nats Chat Podcast. Again, no money down, no payments, no interest for two years, plus 50% off all styles of windows. And if you call this week, you get an extra 10% off your order. 866-90NATION or windownation.com. You've been thinking about getting new windows. Now is the time. 866-90Nation or windownation.com. That's 866-90Nation or windownation.com. And make sure that you tell Window Nation that you want the deal that you heard about from Al Galdi on the Nats Chat Podcast. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Here's his 2-0. Swing and a drive hit well by Manessis. The deep left field. This is way back. It is going, going, and gone. Goodbye. Bang. Zoom goes Joey Manessis. He takes a 2-0 fastball to straightaway left field. And lands that one in section 105. It's the Nationals 1 and the Brewers nothing. The Nats off trading Jamer Candelario. Again, like minutes before this game started on Monday night, we had this Nats win over the Brewers 5-3. And we had three other Nats players being mentioned in trade rumors actually end up playing well. I don't know the extent to which Mike Rizzo is truly trying to trade these guys, but if he is trying to trade these guys, boy, did these guys provide some nice showcases on Monday night. Talking about Joy Manessis, Lane Thomas, and Kyle Finnegan. Manessis hasn't been talked about like a ton as being a trade ship for the Nats, but his name has been out there some. And he on Monday night had a big game. He was an Nats starting DH at number four batter. He went three for four with a solo homer, a double, and a two-run single. Manessis in the Nats, one run second, a leadoff homer to left field for a one nothing Nats lead. Bottom of the fourth, a leadoff double to the left field corner on a 1-2 pitch. And Manessis in the Nats, three-run seventh, one of the best-looking, as in visually pleasing, big hits this Nats season. A tie-breaking, two-out, two-run, broken bat, opposite field single to left center field on an 0-2 pitch for a 5-3 Nats lead. And when I say broken bat, the broken portion of the bat went flying at Nationals Park on this play. We have talked so much about the likes of C.J. Abrams and Kate Ruiz having good Julys. Well, Joey Manessis, who had a woeful June, ended up having a very good July. Manessis, for the month of July, batting average 283, on base percentage 330, slugging percentage of 533. He capped off a very nice month with a very nice game six homers in his last 19 games. That's what everyone's been waiting to see, of course. And, you know, I couldn't help but think back to one year ago at the trade deadline. Joey Manessis makes his major league debut on the night that Juan Soto and Josh Bell are traded. Nobody has heard of this guy, any idea who he is, and he hits a home run and helps them beat the Mets that night. And all of a sudden, he's an overnight sensation. And Manessis up there, the first pitch is blasted high and deep to right center field. Long chase going back. It's got a chance, and it's gone! Welcome to the big leagues, Joey Manessis! And here, what does he do? They trade away their number three hitter, and a few minutes later, not that, not even an hour later, he steps up and hits a home run, and then later the big two-run single to help lead them to victory. So maybe the answer here is 
trade somebody away and Joey Manessis will deliver for you during the course of that game. Now, what happens if he's the one who's traded? I don't know how that works. We're coming up on a year here since he made his major league debut. And I know that's been a little roller coaster last year, the high this year, kind of down. But in totality, when you look at what he's done, if I had told you on August 2nd last year that this guy that none of you had ever heard of before would have, I think it's 37 doubles, 21 homers, 90 plus RBI, and an OPS in the 800s in one year in the big leagues, I mean, you would absolutely have taken that. I don't know what the future holds for him. I think the Nats hang on to him. I I don't know that anybody out there is going to offer something that is of so much value to Mike Rizzo for a guy who's under contract for so much longer because in his first full major league season, why not keep him? I don't know where he fits in in the long-term plan and he may not, but for now, he's a guy worth keeping. He has shown an ability to hit at the major league level, drive in runs, and we're starting to see the power come back, which is a very nice sign. Especially too, the Nats don't have an obvious long-term first baseman moving forward. Now, you know, you can always move someone to first base, but like, mapping this out, planning this out two years from now, three years from now, you don't have that obvious guy who you just put right at first base. Like you have a guy for every other position except first base. So it's not like Manessis would be blocking someone. You know, it's not like you have to get rid of him. He's under team control. He doesn't cost you much. And the guy can hit. I mean, how good of a hitter he truly is. I think we're still trying to figure that out, but the guy can hit. We are seeing that. So Manessis, big game on Monday night. Lane Thomas, His name certainly has been very much out there in trade reports and rumors. We'll see if he stays or goes. Lane did not have a good month of July overall, but he had a good game on Monday night. Lane as the Nats starting right fielder and number two batter, two for four with two RBI singles. He and the Nats one run fifth had a one out RBI single to left center field for a 2-1 Nats lead. And Thomas in the Nats three run seventh, a game tying one out RBI single to left field to tie the game at three. So again, bad month of July overall, but you know, he for this season has an OPS of 807. The Nats in this game on Monday night had just seven hits. Five of the seven hits came from Joey Manessis and Lane Thomas. What do you think? Do you think Lane's going to get traded or do you think he's still with the Nats come Tuesday night? I'll never say never there, but I think Mike Rizzo is being honest when he says somebody would have to value him as highly as they value him themselves. And I don't get the sense that other teams view him as such an integral everyday player on a winning team as the Nationals believe that he is. So you listen to offers, you get to 6 p.m. on Tuesday and decide, does any of these actually match that? I think in his case, it's unlikely to be the case. And I think they believe he can be a part of this moving forward. And you don't have to trade everyone away. You do need some building blocks. They don't all have to be young players that you got in these big trades. They can be role players. And I think he's more than that, to be honest. And not to say no, no chance of it happening, but I think the odds are pretty slim at this point of Lane Thomas. Yeah, he's under team control through 2025. This is his age 27 season. You know, you're not talking about someone who's like ancient or anything like that. I mean, he still could be a decent, if not good player for the Nats in the coming seasons here. So we'll see. It it feels like with Lane Thomas, ultimately, there's going to be a lot of smoke, but like no fire, like nothing's actually going to happen. But again, we'll see. Kyle Finnegan. So mention him. His name has been out there a lot in trade reports and trade rumors. He on Monday night was utilized as the Nats closer. He was not sat the way Jamer Candelario was set to be sat. And Finnegan on Monday night, a perfect top of the ninth inning for the save. You know, something about Kyle Finnegan that 
I don't know. Well, I'm sure plenty of people listening know this because we have a lot of smart Nats fans, but this isn't like widely discussed. You know, this is his age 31 season. Kyle Finnegan, he's not like some guy in his like mid 20s or something like that. When we talk about like young Nats relievers, he's not a young Nats reliever. He's actually kind of an older Nats reliever. He's out of what is typically looked at now as a player's prime. And so when you say like, well, if you hold on to Finnegan, you can sort of develop him and groom him. Like, no, that's not what Kyle Finnegan is. That's not where he's at in his career. Now, he's been, you know, one of the better Nats relievers these last few years. I don't know how much that's saying, but I think that's something to keep in mind. He's under team control moving forward, but he's not like in his mid-20s. Again, age 31 season for Finnegan. Right. And remember, that's because he spent a long time in the minor leagues in the Oakland A's system and wound up becoming a six-year minor league free agent because they never called him up, never put him on their 40-man roster. And so the Nationals, in a very savvy move, as it turned out, gave him a major league deal, even though he had never been in the major leagues before. And he hasn't gone back down. He's never pitched in the minor leagues for the Nationals. And I think this is also a key point that I don't think we should overlook. Kyle Finnegan has been incredibly durable for them since he arrived in 2020. Takes the ball all the time, gives you 60, 65 appearances, no health issues at all that he has dealt with. And there is real value I think in that. So I think of the other guys that are out there, this is the most intriguing one to me. And again, the bar is going to be high. Rizzo is going to ask for a lot for him. But I could see other teams maybe coming close to meeting that mark on him. A good, solid, reliable, durable reliever who on a lot of good teams could be your seventh inning guy and pitch out of jams, that kind of stuff. We've seen Finnegan be so effective with that. He throws 98-99 not afraid to go up against anybody. I think he's really coming to his own here. I'll be interested whether it happens or doesn't to kind of get a sense of what sort of offers did they get for him. If I'm a contending team, I would look into him and I might be willing to give up something of value for him. And if I'm Mike Rizzo, because all the reasons you just outlined, I think you have to at least give that some serious consideration. 31 years old. Yes, he can be a part of your bullpen for the next two years and I shudder to think what this bullpen would look like the rest of this year without Kyle Finnegan. But if somebody makes you an offer that can actually help you in the short and long term, I think that is one they do have to strongly consider. So we shall see. Joey Manessis, Lane Thomas, Kyle Finnegan, have they played their final games as Washington Nationals or are these guys uh, set to be here for a while? A few other things from this 5-3 Nats win over the Brewers on Monday night. Oh yeah, more production from C.J. Abrams in that number one spot. Abrams as the Nats starting shortstop and of course leadoff batter. One for three with a single and a walk and another stolen base. Abrams in the Nats one run fifth, a one out walk, a steal a second base, giving him at 22 consecutive steals now without being caught. So he continues to roll. The Nats starting pitcher on Monday night was Jake Irvin, and he was good. Two runs in five and a third innings. I mean, look, we look at Irvin in a different way than we would look at, say, a Josiah Gray or Mackenzie Gore, but two runs in five and a third innings. Gave up six hits, two doubles, four singles. He issued two walks. We so put some guys on base. He only had two strikeouts. He did throw 92 pitches over the five and a third innings. Irvin in the top of the third, a lot of run on back-to-back two out doubles. Irvin in the top of the six, a lot of run on a one-out walk, and then back-to-back one-out singles. Here's the breakdown, though, of Jake Irvin in regards to having the turn in the rotation skipped. So the Nats on May 3rd recalled Irvin from AAA Rochester. Irvin over his first seven major league starts, ERA of 581. He really was not good. 
had his turn in the rotation skipped. He now has made nine starts since that turn in the rotation was skipped. His ERA over those nine starts is 425. Not excellent, okay, but a lot better than 581. And in some of these games in which he's given up some runs, he's actually pitched fairly well, had some strikeouts, etc. Overall, I think you have to be encouraged by Irvin, especially post the skipping of the turn in the rotation. This is now nine starts. That's not, you know, some microscopic sample size. And he's done a pretty good job here. Right. And the thing I also like that he's giving them is some length. He reached the sixth inning for the third straight start. That's not actually something we talk a lot about with their young guys or even some of their old guys to do that consistently. And I know he didn't finish the sixth and, you know, sometimes he's giving up four runs in six innings, but I think there's some value in being able to go deeper in games like he has. There's enough there to say, okay, this guy isn't just a fill-in. He is somebody who could be a part of this if we can continue to develop him. I think there's an opportunity there for that to be the case. I think he's going to stay in the rotation as long as he's healthy. And they may reach a point where they decide, eh, I think he's thrown enough innings this year. They wanted to watch that because of uh, previous Tommy John surgery. So maybe at some point they decide to, to back off. But for now, he's healthy. He's pitching every fifth day and he gives him a chance most of the time. And that's a nice development, not one that coming into the season, I think a lot of us were counting on at all. No, he's not viewed in the same way that Gore and Gray are. But if at the end of the year you say, hey, they may have themselves a number four or five starter for several years to come, that's a win, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, when he got called up, he was the number 20 prospect in the Nats system per MLB pipeline. If you can turn that guy into, a, say, a number four starter, I mean, that'd be really good. I uh, would love to see that. Prior to Kyle Finnegan on Monday night, we had three other Nats relievers pitching in this game. Jose A. Ferrer, he allowed a run in one and a third innings. He came into the game top of the six, runners on first and second, one out, game tied at two. He, on his very first pitch, induced a 1-4-3 double play for the second and third outs, but Ferrer in the top of the seventh gave up a tie-breaking one-out solo homer by the Brewers' number nine batter, Joey Weimer, to center field for a 3-2 Brewers lead. Jordan Weems then came into the game. Weems had been impressive lately, did not do so well in this game, faced three batters, got just one out. And then we had Mason Thompson. Thompson tossed a scoreless top of the eighth on just five pitches. The first guy got on base on an infield single, and you said to yourself, at least I did, like, oh boy, here we go, Mason Thompson again. But then like 30 seconds later, the inning was over. That inning ended up moving at like lightning speed. I think it's interesting with Ferrer because he at times has looked good. He gave up the homer on Monday night. But something I've noticed, whenever Davey Martinez now talks about this Hunter Harvey-less bullpen, and he talks about like young guys needing to emerge, he seems to always mention Jose A. Ferrer. It seems like Davey likes Ferrer or at the very least sees something in Ferrer. I think the whole organization does. He is a name that we've heard for a couple of years. He kind of burst onto the scene last year. Remember, he was in the Futures game, actually, last year at Dodger Stadium. As a rare prospect who profiles out of the bullpen, you don't get a lot of those. It's usually a, a failed starter who doesn't become a reliever until after they've given it a shot, maybe, in the big league. So, yeah, I think that would be a really nice thing. If you have a young left-hander who throws the ball hard and can keep it somewhat in the strike zone, that's a potential keeper for you. So they do like him. I expect them to get more of these opportunities in, in semi-high leverage spots. The double play was great on the first pitch. You would have loved for him to bounce back the next inning and go one, two, three, but, you know, groove to pitch and give up the home run. But I, I think overall, I think there's been more to like from Jose Ferrer than there has been not to like. 
So game two of this series against the Brewers is Tuesday night at 7.05. Josiah Gray will be the Nats starting pitcher. And we shall see. I mean, first pitch a little more than an hour after that 6 p.m. Eastern MLB trade deadline. It's interesting. The deadline has been at 6 p.m. Eastern the last two years, was at 4 p.m. Eastern as recently as 2021. Do you know why MLB changed that to move up the deadline to 6? Most leagues have their trade deadlines in the afternoons, like, you know, 3 p.m., 4 p.m. Eastern. Uh, MLB now is doing this, like, early evening trade deadline deal. Yeah, I don't know if it's for attention's sake or keep in mind teams are on the West Coast. It's three hours earlier. Maybe give them a little more time. They also have this leeway now in the new CBA where essentially the commissioner's office can pick which date it's going to be. It was always July 31st. And now sometimes it's August 1st, August 2nd, July 31st. They move it around and try to pick the day that they think, again, either generates the most interest or works the best with whatever the MLB schedule is. I don't love the six o'clock. I think I'd rather the four o'clock because it does create a situation like you had on Monday where I know he wasn't in the lineup because they were prepared for the possibility, but 30 minutes before game time, Jamer Candelaro is walking around the clubhouse saying goodbye to guys, and then they're taking the field right after that. And there could be plenty of that tomorrow, whether it's here in D.C. or elsewhere around the league. So I don't love that part of it where you're going to have guys prepping to play a game and then suddenly getting traded. But somebody at MLB felt that it was uh, made more sense to be at 6 o'clock than 4 o'clock on the East Coast. You know, it's funny. I was looking back at the last few deadline deals for the Nats. So as we've noted last year, just two trades, although one of them was uh, one of the biggest trades ever, right? The Juan Soto trade. But you go back and you look at that fire sale of 2021. The Nats, over a period of a little more than 24 hours, traded a total of eight players for a total of 12 prospects, especially now when viewed through this prism of teams have really become like prospect hoarders (laughs) and they don't like to give up prospects. I don't know that we're ever going to see something like that again, a fire sale to that degree, because you have to be bad, but you also have to have enough players who are attractive to other teams to be able to pull something like that off. There almost was like a historic nature to what the Nats did in 2021 that I don't know that anyone appreciated at the time. It was kind of like the last hurrah for like the massive fire sale. I mean, eight players for 12 prospects over a period of a little more than 24 hours. That really was something looking back on it. I know I couldn't appreciate it at the time, Al, because my head was spinning that entire time trying to keep up with it all. And I remember at some point, it might have been the last one of of the night before, it was either the Daniel Hudson trade, I think, to the Padres, or was it Kyle Schwarber to the Red Sox? They happened maybe after midnight. I just remember laughing because it was like I had just finished writing the latest version of a story about whoever else they had traded. And before I could even finish that, here's another move. And just you just laugh it off like, okay, whatever, bring it on, whatever's next. And it was quite a while, I think, before the dust settled that I could really sit back and say, wow, that was crazy. Eight players in 24 hours and no, all the players they got in return haven't all panned out, nor did they expect that they all would. But that really started the whole thing in motion and completely restocked their farm system. When you take those trades on that day, two days, and the Soto Bell trade, that's 12, that's 17 young players acquired in the span of one calendar year, essentially. Completely remade the farm system. It's going to be a while till we know if it ultimately worked at the big league level, but I don't think you can dispute the fact that their farm system is in way better shape now than it was two years ago on this day. It is. 
I still am like the thing that got us here is still something that we don't know if it's been improved. And that is the drafting and the player development. And if those things don't improve, it almost doesn't matter what you do because it's going to be almost impossible to have sustained success. So it's like the Nats sort of like played these get out of jail free cards to upgrade the farm system and trading all these guys. But it's like you still may not have addressed the thing that got you here to begin with. Like we don't know. Maybe they have, but you can't say that they have. There's no concrete evidence yet that they have, in fact, improved on the drafting and the player development. But yeah, they had all these trade ships and they've cast them in. And I think the other thing about 21 is this was the same organization that in 2018 was not allowed by ownership to trade away Bryce Harper as he was on the verge of leaving the team by a free agency. And you go from that to in 21, just three years later, this unapologetic, ultra aggressive fire sale I think that took a lot of people by surprise that the Nats were that bold and that aggressive in engaging in a fire sale like that. And I applaud them for that. I think they did the right thing in 2021. But it really did stand out in contrast to, again, what had happened just three years earlier when Mike Rizzo had to deal with Houston for Harper and it got nixed by ownership. Didn't want to do it, even though Bryce was entering free agency and it was feeling more and more like, yeah, he's probably going to end up walking. So you never can tell with this stuff. Well, you tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the show, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to sponsor the program, we'd love to have you on board. Hit up Tim Shover, see what we can do for you. NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. A thank you to Tim Newmark for the music of the Nats Chat podcast. Check out his site, timnewmark.com, and check out our site, natschatpodcast.com. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We thank you for listening, and we will talk to you next time. We'll see what the Nats look like on the Nats Chat podcast. Wide open stands for Escobedo. He's got that right foot off the ground except his big toe and he swings and misses and DJ Hurst picks up his second Jordan automotive strikeout.